Generative AI really made a name for itself in 2023, but how is the artificial intelligence industry impacting food and beverage in 2024? RSM Principal Christian Winsler returns to discuss Gen AI's impact on marketing business operations and even production formulations on this episode of the Food Institute Podcast, coming at you right now. Right. Welcome back to the Food Institute Podcast, everybody. To start this week off, I'd like to thank the sponsor of this episode, and that's RSM. RSM helps food and beverage clients navigate changing market demands, rising costs, and evolving supply chain challenges with digital transformation and operational strategies. RSM US LLP is the U.S. member of RSM International, a global network of independent assurance, tax, and consulting firms with 64,000 people in 120 countries. For more information, visit rsmus.com slash food and beverage, or take a look in the description of this episode for a link directly to that website. So with that out of the way, welcome back to the Food Institute podcast, Christian. Really excited to talk to you again today. And for those who may have missed your first episode, could you reintroduce yourself and tell us a bit about yourself and RSM? Sure. And, and thanks for having me today. Um, RSM, we are the fifth largest audit tax and consulting firm in the US, and we're specifically focused on the middle market. And for me personally, um, I work in our consulting practice and I lead a team that focuses on how we use technology, specifically Microsoft technologies, to solve for challenges in the food and beverage industry. So really excited to be here again today. So let's start off with a top level view of generative AI here, Christian. Uh, what can you tell us about the growth of this technology and how it's evolved since we last spoke and even in the last couple of weeks? Because it really seems that this technology is growing leaps and bounds every couple of days. So I think it'd be worthwhile to take a look at the growth since we last spoke. And like I said, even up into the last couple of days. So what could you tell us about that? Yeah, it's, since we spoke last, I think the, the most foundational thing and what people are probably most familiar with is OpenAI ChatGPT release, which has really opened the floodgates for what you said. I mean, this is a topic, keeping up with it, very hard. Uh, things change every every couple of weeks. And really what that brought to us and allowed us to do is, is really give us increased complexity and realism, right? If you think we have ChatGPT that really can text inputs and outputs, we're starting to see things around image generation, DALI, we Google just released something where you can take a picture and it can analyze that. We just had OpenAI release a new product called Sora around videos. So we're, we're seeing just taking that generative AI model and being applied really broadly across all different fields. Right, it's making its way. I mean, these are foundational technologies, but it's making its way into supply chain optimization, product recipe development. We're starting to see um, these technologies around sourcing, substitution, and optimization on the production side. Uh, personal consumer experience is a huge topic, um, right? Around you know flavor profiling or aligning uh, things with consumer preferences. Do as as these models right that are underlying these technologies become more accessible. And as the interfaces are becoming easier to use, um, this is just going to continue to grow. So a lot of exciting stuff happening in this space. So I think we're going to end up talking about a lot of those different you know, ideas there as we go through this podcast today. But I do want to double click real quick on Sora, uh, which is the new text to video Gen AI from OpenAI. And for those who don't know, this just came out. It's still kind of locked up with some you know, specific users. It's not available to the general public yet. But 
I got to say, I took a look at this and it really blew me away. Um, the ability to create full videos just from text, I think even a couple of years ago, probably seemed like it was going to be impossible, right? Um, and I think, you know, the development and the deployment of this really showcases a lot of those points we were making earlier about how quickly this technology is evolving. But Christian, I'm just wondering from your perspective, you know, did you get a chance to take a look at this? What do you think about, you know, OpenAI's sort of platform and what that can mean for, you know, the industry at large? Uh, I did, and I can only echo what you said, and I encourage everyone to go go check it out. I mean, it is absolutely mind-blowing. I mean, the, the ability to narrate and, and turn that immediately into a video is fascinating. And, and the, the interesting part here, uh, which is really beyond just the imagery that, that's, that's beautiful, is the, the technology and, and the hardware that goes into doing that and how they're now able to quickly process these inputs and generate these outputs is just leaps ahead. That that is just another uh, advancement where you will see what this technology is capable of. Because when we started with ChatGPT, a lot of the conversation was around performance. It's not quick enough. It's not fast enough for especially business applications, right? As, as, you, as users and consumers want to use this into their business. But when you're seeing things like this, and what it can do, you really know that we're starting to get to a point where these technologies can be infused into their organization and then generate real-time content, again, like videos or imagery, uh, on demand. And that that is a game changer. Absolutely fascinating. Again, I, I encourage everyone to go check it out. And I think we're going to have a lot of fun talking today because there's a ton of topics that we're going to be able to cover here. But I think the one that we could start with, and which is probably most familiar to most of the audience here, would be just how you could utilize generative AI for marketing and content creation aspects. And I'm just wondering, you know, from your seat, are you finding that companies are actually utilizing AI text and image generation in their marketing in the current day? Is this something that's still kind of being rolled out? How do you see this playing in the food and beverage space, you know? right now where we're sitting in February, 2024. You were starting to see more of that. And and the reason too is that, right, what these tools allow you to do is really more with less. And so the answer is definitely yes, that we're seeing um, a lot of company dipping uh, their toes into this to utilize this for marketing. Um, because it really, what it, what it allows you to do is to create a tailored experience for the consumer when interacting with them, right? So if you think, um, we're starting to see tools where websites can be dynamically uh, adjusted for the users, right? And they can generate text and images based upon who gets there. Uh, you could do marketing campaigns, right, with uh, emails. And so, again, you can generate emails specifically to a user. You can include images specifically to that user. And because you can automate that, it's not like you need someone to sit down and create those uh, every time they send an email, you can have these engines automatically do that and then scale those types of communications out to the end consumers. So one thing I think that's worth bringing up here too is just any major pitfalls. And I've talked to some other place or people in the space and I think two topics seem to come up and one is copyright and then also is some companies think that they can just utilize this without a human touch at this point. So I was wondering if you have any thoughts on those two ideas and any other pitfalls that might kind of come up when you start utilizing, you know, Gen AI for marketing and content creation purposes. Yeah, those are those are two very good points. Um, and you know, we call the one term is hallucination, right? Where the generative AI comes up with something that might not be really on point. 
And if you think, you know, we're using this as, as a marketing tool, so right, we're, we're showcasing or representing our firm in the marketplace, we got to be very careful uh, that what the AI generates is actually on point. So the quality is there, the consistency is there. So I, I like to tell my clients too that, yes, you want to use this, but you definitely want to look at what the output is uh, before it goes out. And then the other thing is you're right. I mean, there's a, a huge discussion right now going around while well, these models are trained based up on data that's available out there. Well, what, you know, can I use that data? Is that data actually um, accessible to me? And so that turns into a different kind of conversation, right? If I have data that I'm not supposed to have, well, what I generate from it, is that mine, is it not? Um, but I think we're gonna, we're, I don't think we're there yet to have the, all the answers here, but I think that's gonna be a topic that's gonna keep us busy here in 2024. Yeah, and as always, check in with your legal team, I think is probably a great piece of advice if you're going to utilize some product, um, or not product, but a generative AI platform to create a product. So something to keep in mind there. Um, something I'd like to switch into a little bit now, too, is more on the operation side of things. And I know Microsoft recently released Copilot, and that's a generative AI that's connected to their office suite of products. I know there are tons of other productivity AIs out there as well. I'm just wondering, you know, how do you think companies should be looking to utilize solutions like these for their enterprise operations? Maybe we can kind of go through a quick case study of, you know, how to adopt some of these platforms to help make your operations a little bit more efficient. Yeah. And I think um, Microsoft has really pushed the, the narrative into space because they're seeing um, right a huge opportunity for this. And what they're doing with Copilot is really creating that day-to-day -day assistant. And so the message here, right, is really around how do I do more with less? So, I think those things are going to be a game changer. Um, you know, if you if you think again, having them integrated into your office suite and and being able to do some activities that take longer today. So, an example here is you have a, a Teams conversation. Uh, the meeting gets recorded, and at the end of that Teams conversation, right, you can just quickly say, "Hey, based up on this, give me the action items and uh, put those action items into PowerPoint and email that PowerPoint to everybody that was on the meeting." Right, that today probably take half hour to do. Here it is, a few uh, you know keystrokes, and then that happens. So I think that's going to be really important again, just for the day-to-day -day operation. Now, the other thing that's really exciting, what's coming here, is that yeah, you know, these are tasks, right? These are activities that are pretty pretty much defined, but we're now going to be able to expand uh, those co-pilots into utilizing business data, so that we can also ask it things about the company or ourselves. So if I might need specific data points or we're going back to the marketing example, right? It knows my company, who I am, so it can help me create something in the style of our own organization. Uh, I think that's gonna be very, very powerful. Now, just quick add on here, you said it before, right? Obviously there's some security concerns here that might need to be considered and it might slow things down a little bit. Because if we're if we're enhancing a model with our uh, specific business data, well, we might not want everybody to have access to everything. So making sure that we have the right security around that, so people can't just go in and say like, I'd like to see a list of salaries for everybody, uh, things like that, is definitely something that needs to be considered. And and when someone implements that, also needs to be validated. But again, I think uh, those two things, right, the co-pilots that have the ability to take on these tasks and the combination of extending it with business data is going to be an absolute game changer. 
Yeah, it's really interesting. Um, you know, sometimes it seems kind of scary, but to your point, it's also, you know, an opportunity for a lot of companies to really get a lot more productivity out of, you know, fewer employees. So something that I think is really going to be interesting as 2024 goes on. Um, another thing a lot of food companies are really going to be interested in as well is how this can affect supply chain management, basically. So I was wondering if you have any thoughts on how generative AI or even just AI in general can really help with that aspect of the business. Yeah, I think what we're uh, we're starting to see more and more in that space. It's not as much, I'm going to call it generative AI here because we don't want uh, a solution to create new things in the supply chain, put it that way. Where we're really seeing it is around how do we optimize the different areas. So, you know, there's there's really two sides of this coin, right? So on one side, we've got kind of the in-house optimization around production scheduling and capacity planning, right? Are we doing the right things at the right time? How do we minimize downtime? How do we schedule production so um, cutovers can be done easier? All those kind of things um, is definitely something where, um, again, machine learning, AI, those two tools come into play to help us figure out, um, you know, how do we do this more efficient? Whereas optimization, right, flow of product within the warehouse, should we change our warehouse around to make picking more efficient? Um, I've got a client of mine, they, you know, they were able to save a couple of seconds on a pick, but if you do a thousand of those, you're gonna make your warehouse workers a lot more efficient. You're gonna get your trucks picked quicker. And so again, there's a huge opportunity there to making things better there. And then the last thing I say when we're looking in-house, right, it, it's around, for example, order pattern and optimizations there. If you've got someone that has, you know, some direct store delivery at, at play, they need to fulfill multiple orders in a day on a truck, right? If they can understand, hey, maybe I can ask someone if they could take an order the next day, that would allow me to optimize the route. It would, you know, help me with picking, it would help me with delivery, it would improve the quality there from that as well. So those are all opportunities where AI definitely can help find some optimization opportunities in those processes. And then on the other side, right, is if we look externally, um, and then and the big theme here is really, do we have or can we have the right product in the right place at the right time? How do we optimize that from an overall planning schedule that we can match up our supply with our demand? Um, you know, a few years ago, uh, I had a, a, the pleasure to listen to someone that worked at Amazon, and they had an example of how they are moving products just based upon multiple views. So I'm here sitting on the West Coast. If I look at something on Amazon for three or four times, they already you know, consider that a buying intent. So if they don't have the product close to me, they might initiate moving that product to the West Coast so that when I buy it, they can make sure that they can give me my you know, two-day delivery. And so, again, do they have the right product in the right place at the right time to make me as a consumer be very happy? Because now when I finally pull the trigger on this product, I, I yes, it's here in two days, no delays, perfect. Um, so, again, thinking about that, right, is something that's uh, very important because, again, if you have multiple locations, you need to have ingredients, you need to have packaging or even finished goods from a delivery perspective, right, in the right place. Can we utilize some of those tools to help us optimize that and making sure that, again, we can serve our clients better? 
So I think it's really amazing to see what Amazon is doing there. And it really kind of belies the entire efficiency aspect uh, when you utilize AI in your operations. But I think one thing that we can say here is that a lot of what we've talked about has kind of been business agnostic when it comes to, you know, the industries that you're working in. And I'd really like to tie this down a little bit more into the food space. And one of the things the Food Institute has been seeing uh, over the last couple of weeks and even like towards the end of 2023 was that many companies are turning to generative AI to create consumer-facing recipes. So I guess my question here, Christian, is from the RSM perspective, are you seeing this as well? And if so, what applications are you seeing for its use in food manufacturing and food service when it comes to these Gen AI recipe generators, basically? So I was hoping we could talk about that a little bit. Yeah, um, that's a very good topic. And yes, we're definitely starting to see more and more of that because you know it, it's twofold, right? On one side, again, it's on the consumer side because uh, we can put our products in front of consumer. We don't have, you know, consumers uh, have to go buy cooking books. They can easily utilize a tool like that and um, drive what they would like. And what makes it very easy is that just based upon the consumer trends that we're seeing today is you can take a recipe, you can tell an engine like that, say, hey, give me a recipe for X, Y, and Z. And it comes up with something. And when there's something that maybe you have a guest that, you know, doesn't like something or has an allergy to something, it's very easy to say, okay, that's great, but I can't use dairy. Can you give me a, a recipe that has a substitute for that in it? So on demand, the generative AI can then recalculate what should go into that recipe and give you different suggestions. So it makes it very easy for consumers, right, to uh, build something that really is tailored to them. And so if I, as a company, can work you know that into my relationship with the consumer and really tailor it to them again for one specific person then that's a huge benefit right because it builds that relationship between me and that customer so i think that's going to be something we're seeing a lot more um that that companies are going to utilize that and, and and advertise interfaces like that and then of course eternally right if you think about it from a manufacturing perspective if you have a product and maybe you have an ingredient that is not available or it's getting too costly and you need to go find something else, you know, that's product and development today and that's not going to go away. But what it allows us to do is, is do those iterations of finding a replacement much, much quicker, right? We can do them in models and see what the outputs are based upon what the generative AI suggests, and then we can test those versus having to go try everything and go through the arduous process of, of building those products and testing them that way. So I know we just talked a little bit about how food companies might be utilizing the AI uh, in, you know, sometimes switching out an ingredient, et cetera. Um, I just want to bring up, you know, a few years ago that we had Notco on the show, a representative from that company. And for those who aren't familiar, they are a South American plant-based company. And basically they shared how they have an AI named Giuseppe that helped craft plant-based product formulations by analyzing traditional animal product versions and kind of breaking down the molecular structure and figuring out ways to try to replicate that, to try to basically match up flavors uh, between those plant-based sorry, plant-based versions of those products with, you know, like I said, the more traditional animal products. So I know we talked about this a little bit there, Christian, but I was very interested just to kind of get your take on how you and RSM are seeing, you know, the use of AI in not just, you know, substitutions for ingredients or even consumer facing recipes, but just product formulations in general. Yeah, this is going to be something that, you know, we'll, we'll see a big 
uh, big advancements here too. Because again, it's it's to, to your point is the consumers want different products based upon you know their likes and dislikes or what they can consume. So companies need to be able to quickly adapt to that, right? When a new trend comes out, how do I quickly go through the iterations of identifying what a pro what is a good product, what are good substitutions? And so traditionally, right, that has been we had to go and, and buy these ingredients um, and then put them together, build a product, try, test it, do all of that. With these models, right, it's it allows us to do that much, much faster because, one, we might identify certain ingredients that we never thought of before. But you said it right, right, based upon the attributes that something has. Hey, here are five things that are a good match or a likely match to you replacing something in your product. And then being able to just quickly go through those and iterate through those is going to make this a very powerful tool for, powerful tool for companies to quickly adapt to trends or, again, if they uh, potentially even have um, you know, something that is not available in the market, something that's getting too expensive, so they can, again, utilize these types of solution to quickly adapt and adjust. I think one last thing we could talk about here too is just, you know, it's very interesting to see how generative AI is being used for personalized nutrition. I was wondering what you could tell us about this application of generative AI and how food companies can kind of respond to this consumer trend uh, as people are trying to, you know, especially at this point of the year, right? A little bit after the, the new year, but a lot of people still really focused on their new year's resolutions. How can food companies kind of leverage this when it comes to personalized nutrition? Yeah, and it's this is really a combination with another trend that we're seeing, right, where we learn more and more about our body. And, uh, you know, with the, the ability to get our DNA results and based up on that, starting to detect uh, maybe what is good for us, what is maybe not so good for us, where should we um, supplement something with nutrition, uh, we can optimize around that. And so if you think about that, right, it's back to I have a product, but it may not be good for all consumers or not all consumers might want it in this fashion. So being able to combine those two things, right, the DNA results and, and what we're learning from a body perspective with the nutritional inputs is now giving me the ability to uh, create a tailored meal plan. And then if you think about someone adding that to, let's say, their website, and then being able to generate, again, a list of products, a meal plan that someone could consume is going to be a, a big point of how you build that relationship with the consumer. Because, again, oh, I can quickly get what is good for me here. And so now I'm going to go buy those products um, and um, take advantage of a generative AI engine like that. So it's all about that optimization around what is good for me and what are the nutritional values of a products that I consume and taking the friction away from that, having to do that research, right? Having or being able to just ask and go like, is this product good for me? Yes, this has these nutritional attributes and that's good for you because of X, Y, and Z. Bringing that in, you know, we're starting to see more and more of that because again, that's what the consumers want and it allows a company to really build that relationship then with the consumer and get their products in front of them. 
So this has been an excellent conversation, Christian. I do have one last question, and I know we aren't wizards, but we are going to take a look into the crystal ball here. I'm just wondering, from your perspective, by the end of 2024, what do you think is going to be the status of generative AI in the food space? And I think more specifically, do you think it will be largely adopted by that point, or do you think it's still going to be gaining traction? Um, One of the things that I often say about the food industry when it came to tech was they are usually one of the last adopters. So I'm just wondering your perspective now that generative AI is out there. Do you think it's going to be largely adopted or you still be gaining traction by the end of 2024 here? I think generative AI is going to be something that's still uh, gaining traction. Um, I don't think we're, we're going to see full adoption in that space. Um, and the reason uh, I say that is that there's a lot of people that we see wanting to you know, play with it, want to get their hands on it, want to understand it. But there are still a lot of privacy and security concerns that we touched on during this episode as well. So I think uh, as we go through this year, some of those things are going to get resolved. And then I think we're going to start seeing um, companies utilize this more and more for some of the things that we talked about. Very interesting. And we will certainly be keeping an eye on it throughout the rest of 2024. Uh, Christian, I want to thank you for your time today. But before we hang up the call here, I was just wondering if anyone wants to learn a little bit more about RSM, where should they go? Yeah, we got a couple options. You can go to go to rsmus.com, learn more about what we're up to. We do have an RSM Microsoft Food and Beverage LinkedIn group as well, where we're talking a lot about these topics. Or if anyone has any question, they can always reach out to me directly. So that's going to do it for us this week on the Food Institute podcast. Once again, thank you to Christian for spending some time with us today and to RSM for sponsoring this episode. Make sure you take a look in the description of this episode for links directly to the websites that we talked about today. We'll catch you next time. This is Chris Campbell signing off.